Ultimately, if we want to remove ourselves from being tied to all the outcomes in our business, selling a framework is the fastest way to get there. I've been using this framework inside of operations agency and we need to be open to the fact that working on and crystallizing our frameworks is going to improve our authority in our market. For this episode of Coffee with Closers, we have the pleasure of speaking with Alison Caffrey, the founder of operations agency and the creator of the Operations Simplified Framework. As an expert in operations management and process improvement, Allison has helped countless service-based businesses optimize their operations and achieve greater success. In this episode, we'll be talking to Allison about her entrepreneurial journey, the development of her framework, and her tips and strategies for effective operations management. So grab a cup of coffee and join us for an insightful conversation with Allison Caffrey. Hey, Allison, I'm super excited to have you join me for this episode of Coffee with Closer. Thanks, Samuel. I am super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Most certainly. You know, I came across you, I believe I was listening to a trainual podcast and I heard you were one of the certified trainual consultant. And this is actually a Chris Ronzo's book. He was a guest on my show a while back. He was nice enough to send me a copy of his book and it was pretty insightful. So obviously you have some sort of an interesting story of how you became an entrepreneur. Every entrepreneur has some, some story of how they overcame obstacles to become one. Can you share with our audience a little bit about your journey of how you became an entrepreneur? Yeah, sure. So I've actually owned my business operations agency for the last five and a half years. And before that, I was an operations manager at a high growth firm. Um, We were doing all the things. We were a little bit in digital marketing, a little bit in coaching, a little bit in events. And so I like to say that I got baptized by fire into the operations space. I really just had to work together with the founder to close up all the loops behind the scenes and just make sure that the business was able to fulfill on the promises that it was making to its clients in the marketplace, right? And so that was something that I took a ton of pride in and we grew that business fairly significantly since I started. We were doing about two and a half million in revenue when I left. And so for two and a half years, we grew that business. And I remember when I announced, unfortunately, that I would be moving on to my next opportunity, still wonderful friends with this founder. And he said to me, he was like, could you give me a three month transition period? And I was like, oof, how challenging must that be for somebody owning their own firm having you know i mean we were just under 30 employees and contractors at the time i mean i felt like it just hit me and i was like wow okay so he is really tethered to what's going on behind the scenes here in the sense like he couldn't really function without some of the things that we were doing for him and so i decided to grant him the 90 day extension and we worked together to create one of the very first you know operating blueprints for his business and mm-hmm. right now this guy he's doing like partnerships with Grant Cardone and he's his business has grown so significantly and i love to think that the very first project i ever worked on kind of on my own and with my ex expertise was here giving this guy basically just like a new relationship with his business, right? Just like revitalizing him into, you know, how things are operating and being able to transfer that knowledge to the team. So literally the next month, so 30 days after I had had that 90 day transition period with that founder, I had a full book of business. Everyone said, can you do for me what you did for that guy? And I was like, sure, no problem. So I like to say that although I have faced some challenges, I am very much an accidental entrepreneur. I founded out of need because 
because I had folks just banging down my door in the very beginning for lots of one-on-one support around some of these things. Because let's face it, as entrepreneurs begin the journey, they don't start a business to manage a business, right? They start a business to transform people's lives. They start a business to become financially free, to spend more of their own time and access more of their own excitement and they end up running a business, right? And so I help them kind of figure that stuff out. So over the years, we've helped some really cool high growth businesses in the service business base, uh, in the software as a service companies. And we've also held lots of brick and mortars prep for sale and grow to multiple locations. So we have done so many different types of projects and I'm really, really excited and just thrilled to be a part of the way that folks operate behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you being an operational excellence guru, you probably <laughs> face no challenges in your entrepreneurial journey, right? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> so you you know, some, some of the biggest challenges that you faced as you started your business. Obviously, this is still a service company too, right? Must oh, absolutely. Knowledge and information products and plus some service component as well. Yeah. So we have information products, we have services and transparently some of the largest things that I have personally faced is, is some of the things that I honestly help clients with, right? It's really Mm -hmm. extracting myself from the key outcomes of the business. And I think that ultimately we can always be better at doing these things at scale, but really the question becomes because the lines get blurred, right? It's when should I remove myself from this thing? When does it become financially viable for me to hire a replacement for myself? And what is the process there? And so, a lot of the things that we work with our clients on, it's that and my recovering perfectionism, I'll say, which I also see is super common in entrepreneurs, right? I have a mentor and a partner named Dan Martell. He talks about this in his book that was released earlier this year. He says 80% done by somebody else is 100% freaking awesome. And I think like letting that saying sink in wholeheartedly for some of the folks listening, like I struggled with this forever. And really, we need to be okay with the fact that we're not going to clone ourselves and we really need be okay with the fact that if we get something off of our plate, it's going to be like building a muscle. At first, it might be 10% off of our plate. It might be 20% off of our plate, but it's momentum in the right direction. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned Dan Martell. I kind of follow him on YouTube as well. I've heard his story of, I think he's from Canada, right? His story of how he really turned his life around and became an excellent SaaS founder. And now he's an investor, coach, all those things. And I think maybe you can give a plug and get him on my show because I tried to personally LinkedIn <laughs> message him, but I've never been able to get him on the show. So you've had a lot of nuggets that you mentioned in there. Like you had to figure out how to remove yourself. So as a founder, like we all have this, this is our biggest challenge, especially in the growing days, everything in your hands are in there, right? The operations, the strategy, the customer acquisition, the accounting, the finance, the payroll, all of those things. Like what are some of the things that you're seeing the entrepreneurs are doing wrong in terms of removing themselves from the day-to-day. Yeah. So first and foremost, I think what I just touched on, right? They're not looking at how can I get a small fraction of this off of my plate, right? They are in a position where they think it's a 100% delegation or none at all. I'd like to encourage folks to try to dip their toe in the water when it relates to delegation and building a team so that not only does the person have a little bit more runway for success, but you as a leader, you now become something different to your business, right? If it's just you or just you and a handful of contractors 
and you're taking on your first handful of employees over a year or two period, you now need to become a leader, right? You become something different inside of your mm -hmm. business. And it's just like when you have your first child, right? Mm -hmm. You need to kind of shed that previous skin and show up a little bit differently for the responsibilities that you have. And the same is true with a team. And you don't become a parent overnight. It's a spectrum. You grow as a parent and as a leader over time. And so mm -hmm. exercising that and getting really used to that is going to be really, really helpful. Another thing that I also find really, really helpful is making sure that you have somebody in your business who aligns with your value set and really understands the outcomes that you're trying to create. So I always say it's really antiquated to manage to the 40 hour work week, like get that out of here. We're not trying to chain our employees or our contractors to their desk for 40 hours a week. We want to shift the mindset of the people who are working for us to think in terms of outcomes, not in terms of input right? Mm -hmm. So we don't want them to spend 40 hours doing something just because they have to, right? We can start to create a high performing team by thinking about some of those things. Mm -hmm. And finally, as a leader, you really can start to change the way that you interact. If you have a current team, maybe you've already made some of these hiring decisions and you have some folks internally that you want to try to leverage their skill set and leverage kind of getting yourself out of the day to day, start mm -hmm. to switch your brain from the doer to the assister. Let's not delegate it completely. Let's start to think about how can I assist my team in getting this outcome versus doing it on my own. It takes a lot of discipline, right? Because as the founder or as a leader of a department, you want to jump back in there. You want to get your perfectionist hands on things. But really operating is an exercise of discipline to say, no, I'm going to let this person get this result. I'm going to help them understand that failure is accepted and encouraged as long as we are moving in the right direction of learning and achieving the outcomes that overall is the organization we want to achieve. Yeah, SpaceX just made a billion dollar failure a couple of days back, right? <laughs> so that's something Elon is known for, just encouraging people to fail fast mm. and learn from it. But you said something that I would like to expand on a little bit. I would like to learn more about. You said outcome versus input. Can you expand mm -hmm. on what that meant? Yeah, totally. So if you're in a position, right, where you've got projects and, and things happening and they're supposed to take this amount of time, like that's one of the reasons why I don't love minute deadlines. I'm sure a lot of folks would think this, but you're probably like, oh, she's got everything organized and you look behind me and you see like all my labeled bins. Yes, I am a very organized person, but I believe in access mm -hmm. so that folks can be creative with outcomes, right? So what that means is I don't tell my team every single thing that they need to do. And I don't have this like beautiful Gantt chart of all of our projects that happen. I say, hey, listen, this is the key outcome. I'd like it done by the end of the quarter. And what I need you to do is come to me with a plan and help me understand how you plan to generate momentum in the right direction. And so first we start with the plan, right? Mm -hmm. And to be totally honest, if we start speaking in outcomes versus time bound, I have noticed in my team, the teams I've managed, the teams I've advised, always we achieve outcomes so much faster because the clarity is there and folks feel like they can run in a direction that feels aligned with them and that they understand completely versus mm -hmm. saying, hey, listen, this thing's due at X date or within X hours. I think it's really, really interesting to put those types of constraints on folks because I don't know about you, but every time, I mean, I have a tiny office here and I used to have a bigger office and I remember cleaning out my bigger office to move into the smaller office. And I was like, how do I accumulate all this stuff? 
stuff. How did that happen? And everyone expands to the amount of time or the amount of space that they are given. And so if we talk in outcomes instead, I talked to myself, I said, what are the non-negotiables I need in my office? I want some greenery. I want some books. I want some natural light. I need batteries in here at some point when my keyboard goes off. Right. And so if those are the outcomes, now all of a sudden I have lovely space to look at. It's nice and clean. It's nice and organized and it's not cluttered. Mm -hmm. So let's say for in the service based industry, I know you said you started in, in a marketing agency world and you were offering coaching and consulting and marketing services. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about outcomes. So let's say if you have marketing campaigns that you're supposed to be running, and obviously they all have some sort of a deadline, some things that are perpetual, like you just have to keep creating content, you certainly have to run all the Google ads and whatnot. So how mm -hmm. are you balancing the deadlines with just the focus on the outcome? And then in terms of like the input combination that you mentioned as well. Yeah. Yeah. And great question. So if you're managing like a content team, right, if we're producing blogs or producing videos or producing content, right, that we're posting on social media, mm -hmm. ad copy, all the things, right? Instead of being in a position to say, well, like every single Friday, we need to have X, Y, or Z thing. We need to say mm -hmm. a little bit broader. Okay. We need to build the skill of having enough content planned out three weeks in advance, let's just say, and mm -hmm. have a well of information that we can dig from and not be so tied to the repetition, but be a little bit more tied to the outcome and then their creativity. Because I know a lot of folks, especially in creative content teams, who would rather batch do their blogs all in one day and then have all the content for the month, or they would rather batch record all of their videos and work together with folks. So let your team create the outcomes in the way that feel aligned with them. You will get so much more buy-in from your team on your processes, on the outcomes that you're generating for clients. If you tell them, hey, listen, these are the non-negotiables or the standards we talk quite a bit about with our clients, right? Mm -hmm. What are the standards in terms of how you're going to operate, what you're going to deliver, and then let them come in and provide some of their expertise. This is actually so true as well for work-life balance with the founder, work-life balance with the team, right? If folks feel like they can access different ways to get things done in shorter periods of time and then return back to their family, back to the things they love, back to their partners, then you really do have a team of people who are showing up as their best selves inside of their business and probably going to generate outcomes that are more efficient and more impactful. So obviously, when you started this operations agency, you decided to create a framework called Operations Simplified Framework. So can you tell our audience a little bit more about what that Operations Simplified Framework is? Oh, totally. I love this framework because it happened just like probably all frameworks do. I know we were talking, Samuel, before we hit record here, right? You know, you run through something so many times and then you kind of step back and you think, wow, I go through the same thing every single time. The Operation Simplified was born out of many projects that we had done with our clients in the early years. And honestly, if I reflect back, probably the very first project that I worked on with my nine to five with my boss. And really what it is, is it's an operations framework rooted in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So if we talk about a healthy, fulfilled person, what does that look like? And when we're talking about a healthy, fulfilling business, what does that look like? And really what we want to do is we want to achieve self-actualization, which looks different for every single owner, right? Maybe they're prepping to exit. Maybe they want multiple locations. Maybe they want to leave a legacy for their family. Maybe they want to be able to work half the year and then take the other half of of the year summering somewhere in Europe, that's up to them. And so what we need to do is we need to understand what are the basic functions of our operations at each level to really be able to achieve those things. 
So at the very bottom level, we usually have kind of the baseline of operating, which I believe to be a two factor auth here, right? Is standard operating procedures and how we plan to grow. So quarterly planning and tracking quarterly initiatives. Those are the fundamentals because you need to be able to fulfill promises that your business is making. But if you're not growing, you're dying. So all small businesses should be breaking stuff. If we're growing, if we're following trends, if we're really dialed into what's going on in our market, we should be adapting. And we need to make that a standard way of how we operate because I know so many businesses who spend so much time developing a knowledge base and developing standard operating procedures and policies and all those things. And it just feels like antiquated red tape because they look back and it's different than it was two days ago because everything has changed. So having a process for both growing and standardizing is huge. Second is project management and how we train incoming team members on those projects. So it's just standardizing the way that we handle things. This is especially true in service-based businesses, but it's also very much true inside of product businesses because we need to help our team understand how to get results really, really quickly. And that is probably one of the most expensive things that we spend money on, right? As a business is training our team, right? Making sure that they understand what they're doing. So that's kind of level number two. Level number three is making sure that quality and cost stay consistent, which I love this because this is probably where our folks get stuck probably the most. They start to get some really cool results. They start to standardize some things. Their team understands what they're doing. And then they experience an influx, which is the next phase of operations framework is really, you know, can we grow, right? Get more eyeballs, get more clients, you know, and can we also scale? Because those are two very different things. So I usually see folks vacillating between like the growth and scale period and the quality and cost. They'll grow a little bit too quickly, then they'll come back down and be like, how do we keep costs the same? And so a lot of that stuff is where the pain starts to get inside of the scaling period. And then obviously self-actualization, right? That's the pinnacle. That is the owner, founder, the team, the clients, everybody being able to achieve what exactly it is that we need to achieve inside of our life and our business. It's really like what we like to say at operations agency, it's returning fulfilled founders back to their families. Ultimately, at the end of the day, what are we all doing this for? It's to be a more impactful legacy lever with our family to impart our knowledge onto our family. And I firmly believe that a clear operating structure inside of your business opens up so many doors to be able to invest in that area of your life. Yeah, I think if you've been in the business field, you know about systems and process and documentation. You kind of know that. You would assume like you know that by now. But I think mm -hmm. the question that you brought up in terms of like training and like I think it was like your second layer where you're mm -hmm. talking about like training and uh, building up the team. So that's an area where, you know, a lot of people do struggle because you oftentimes trying to hire for talent and skill and bring them in hoping that they just fix the process problem or system problems that you have by just right just by the sheer experience they bring to the table or whatnot <laughs> but it, you know for a fact that that doesn't happen right you you can make the best hire and then you know maybe they have the skill but they don't have the will or they have the will but they don't have the skill <laughs> all kinds of problems that comes along with so what are some ways that you've seen to have overcome that challenge for business especially in that early scaling stage where you need mm. really critical hires and if you make a mistake, you you got you know you lost not just only the money lost in salaries, but the opportunity cost of lost time to to make yeah. momentum. Yeah, the efficiency cost there is huge for sure. I think something that we must understand when we start to make any hire, and that's even if we're contracting out to a VA, is that there are two different types of operations. There's operations creation, and then there's operations management. And I think that too often we combine those two things. So we have someone that we hire that we want them to manage our social media, but there's no system. 
for how we manage social media. And so we pipe them into the thing and then we tell them, hey, listen, create a system or I want your input on this or whatever. And I think that that's fine. And for some folks, it works out really well and they get a really solid unicorn hire. And I actually have an episode on my own channel that's talking about like the worst hire that any small business can make is the unicorn hire because it starts to allow us to fall on bad habits. But usually when I hire anybody into any organization, have ever managed anybody, we usually have the creators and we have the managers, right? And there's nothing to say that one is better than the other. And sometimes folks can wear two different hats. But what we need to do is we need to understand that we need a system to manage before we can have anybody manage it. And so I talk about the delegation principle, right, of trying to get a small portion of something off of your plate first, right, dipping your toe in the water on delegation, something that you do pre-hire. So before you even get comfortable with the thought of delegating, I want you to just ask your question, like, what is my process for this? What exactly do I go through? And I think a lot of my owners and even some of my team members, they'll come in and be like, well, I don't know. It's just in my brain or it's a creative process or it takes a really long time. But if you start to really boil it down and you start to take a look at some of the projects that you've worked on in the past or some of the ways that you've approached things, you do have a process. And some of the, the most elegant way that I can even say to handle something like this is if you're thinking of making a hire right now, record your screen doing all the things that you do for the day. Just mm -hmm. record it so that you at least have a documented effort around how you are getting these outcomes so that somebody can come in and at the very least, even if it's not the best well-baked process of all time, you can have somebody come in and follow something step-by-step step to get the outcomes that you want. And I think it could be the difference between having somebody in there who's able to at least make a one-to-one -one trade for your time and having somebody come in and just be totally lost and ineffective and you're basically paying a body to just sit there. Yeah. And then also when, you know, going back on what you were just explaining, so the thinking part of it versus like the systematized or process, right? Like how do you balance that? Because a lot of times in the creative or service industry, you can document some of those things, but there's a lot of nuances of things that comes from experience, having faced that same mm -hmm. challenge or having seen so many different problems, similar type, and then being, being able to come to a solution. Uh, how do you fix that problem? Because you can't always find the best talent who had the years of experience to come into your organization and just hit the road running. You can document some of those things, but you also need the thinking skill to be able to solve that problem. How do you help the entrepreneurs to fix that thinking side? Because I don't know how you document that. That's an excellent skill. question. I think yeah. that is going to be the number one thing that entrepreneurs and owners and even folks in the leadership teams right, can focus on. Something I'll say that may make folks upset who are listening is that this is a muscle. So just like you didn't learn all your industry expertise overnight, you cannot expect anybody to accept that download of information and be able to apply it critically overnight. It can't happen. And so I think what we need to understand is operations, just like health, just like everything is a practice. And we need to understand how to meaningfully contribute to that practice day in and day out. So if that means that knowledge transfer exists in your organization, like, hey, listen, read this SOP or watch this video and then ask me the top five critical questions you now have. Really what we need to do, I mean, just like the development of AI, right? We need to ask better questions. We need to empower our team to ask us better questions because ultimately we can't expect to be able to give them all of that context, to be able to train them to even think like we can think. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can train them to ask better questions. We can give them resources to be able to achieve specific outcomes and give them the experience to be able to form their own opinions, to think critically about their own steps 
And we may even find somebody who can do things better than we can do them, right? I mean, I'm sure you know, after managing a team and, and working with other owners and things like that, I'm sure you find out that folks have this happen to them all the time, right? They think that something is amazing and lives with them. And then all of a sudden they get a new perspective on something from a team member or a coach or some sort of partner. And all of a sudden the landscape looks completely different and it's better than, you know, when you were managing it. So I think we need to all be accepting of the opportunity that although it's important to impart a lot of our industry expertise onto our team, it's not going to happen overnight. And mm -hmm. that they also, with fresh perspective, do actually have some things to offer that could make the process better. So are you suggesting things like maybe like a scenario-based training? So as you have process document, you know, documented process on how you do something, but then you have like scenarios where you ask questions or you set up a scenario and then have the, the trainee go through and explain how they would solve that problem, having yeah. read maybe the documentation or something like that? We have role played actually quite a bit in my business and with some of the companies that we advise on their team training. Usually I like to propose kind of like a three level training process, right? So usually what we'll do is we'll hit them with high level strategy. Why do we do this? Why is this important? What's our strategic approach? Next mm -hmm. is the tactical level approach. So what is maybe the management effort here? And then the third level is an ability or an opportunity to demonstrate skills. Mm -hmm. And I have found that learning also operates that way, right? I got to understand why we're here. I got to understand the keynotes and bolts. And then I want to be able to get my hands dirty and see if I can actually achieve this outcome. So if we can structure in an ideal world, our operations and our training that way, it really is critical. Every single standard operating procedure, I've written thousands of standard operating procedures for businesses over the past five years. Every single one of them has a purpose statement inside of it. Every single one, because they do not exist in a vacuum and we need to help our team understand understand not only how to demonstrate those key skills, but also why on earth are we even doing this and who's in your corner? Who else can you ask for help? Well, who can you go to when you need some support? Yeah. So there's some, a lot of nuggets and values in there. So obviously there's a lot of systems out there. There's EOS, there's, I'm sure you heard of scaling up, there's E-Myth. Mm -hmm. So why do we need another operations system and what makes the system that you created unique from all the other ones that are out there available? Yeah, I think that the thing I love the most about my system is that it doesn't take a long time. When you go to implement some of the like EOS, for example, right, it usually is about a year to work with an implementer and it really has a lot to offer. And honestly, I like EOS. Like, I mean, personally, objectively, I really do like EOS. I think there's a ton of wisdom and traction. And I really, really do think that for somebody who's looking for a system to follow and wants to do it by the book, I've seen so many business owners who have a lot of success with that platform. What mm -hmm. I really enjoy doing is helping meet somebody where they are. So mm -hmm. we're not training for a marathon right out of the gate, right? I mean, that's what I find EOS to be, right? It's very robust, scaling up same way, very robust, right? It covers all the spectrum. They did a lovely, lovely, lovely job of being able to really take a 360 approach to all the ways that businesses could benefit from their specific framework. Although I feel that I have some of that 360, my my rooting in my framework is making sure that the founder can show up as the best possible leader. That's it. Because ultimately, I mean, John Maxwell talks about this all the time, right? The leader lib. You are really only going to grow your business to the capacity that you have as a leader. And so if we start to think about how you structure your operations behind the scenes in that lens, it seems simpler. Instead of running the marathon, we just go for a walk around the block, right? It's still momentum in the right direction and it's meeting you where you are. And it seems more approachable. I think we can start to 
access some of those fundamental operating elements that some of the larger businesses can afford to put in. And some of the folks with a lot more experience than us have been able to implement without all the time and the energy and the thought behind, well, I should be having L10 meetings every week. Well, if you don't, and the outcomes are still there, then like, that's okay. Let's give ourselves a little bit of, of wiggle room and a little bit of grace there. So yeah, that's why I think my framework's a little bit different because it's very much founder focused. I'm definitely working through a lot of those things that key founders tethered to their business. Mm -hmm. So I have a follow-up question to that. So you mentioned something about the, the, the becoming the leader. So in the early days, you are mostly operating as an operator and a manager mm -hmm. and all of those things. So would you see the founder actually just getting away from the people management on a day-to-day -day basis and more like a leader, big vision and overseeing the big, uh, you know, growth efforts and things of that nature. And then you have more like the traction has the integrator role. So you would have some sort of key role or two that actually does the, the dirty work. I, I, I really want to call it dirty work, but the day-to-day <laughs> the -day in the field doing the work, right? Is that, is that kind of the model that you have then? So you free up the leader from actually having to be in the in the weeds trying to do the the day-to-day -day operational tasks. Yeah. So I basically have three levels to how I allow founders to access this. And I call mm -hmm. this method overall the sabbatical method. And mm -hmm. it really, a sabbatical has a negative and a positive connotation, right? Sabbatical usually, in our industry specifically as well, right? Usually sabbaticals follow like some sort of health physical breakdown or mental breakdown of burnout and stress. And I can't do mm -hmm. this anymore. And I just need to take some time. Or in Patagonia, for example, their CEO founder takes a sabbatical every single year. And I I know that Bill Gates has Think Week and, you know, this seems like, you know, there's kind of two sides to this. It's either really, really high level and only accessible to Fortune 50 companies, or it's really known as something that happens when something terrible happens. And so usually I try to locate three levels of, you know, basically how you can access this. So the first is still the doing level. So this is for my solopreneurs, my folks who are managing a couple contractors, my people who are really just in the startup phase, freelancer phase, they should be recording their screen. They should be the documenter constantly and fold time here. I know Dan Martell has a bit in his book about this, about the camcorder method, but really just get Loom on your Chrome extension and you can start to build a knowledge base that can be accessed by somebody whenever you decide to push that higher button and we can start to kind of build that. The second level is the assister. So this is somebody with a team who may be in a position to be able to offload some things to folks. So instead of really being invested in the doing, just give them an assist. Tell them, hey, listen, here's maybe how I would do this after I've recorded my screen and showed you some of those things, right? Do that kind of knowledge transfer discussion that we talked about before. And the third level is the board member. Really, all you're doing is teeing yourself up to make the most important decisions that the business needs. And so there's a lot of things that go into that, right? We have to have the right data. We have to have the right information. All of that, all of that stuff kind of really rolls up into the board member. But the board member really does just come in at a really abbreviated cadence right? They're not in the weeds of the day-to-day. -day. They're not even managing some of the back and forth decision-making. They're really in a position where they come in and they meet quarterly and they make some of the big decisions like you were mentioning, Samuel, casting that bigger vision for what's next. Mm -hmm. So does your, because I know Traction has a visionary and the integrator model. So do you also suggest at some level you actually bring in some sort of an operational director of operation or something like that, who will take over that responsibility of the day-to-day -day or getting in the weeds overseeing like the SOPs getting written and followed and whatnot. When does that actually happen? Is that in the middle level? 
It depends on the business transparently. Mm -hmm. So I've seen folks with, you know, using the traditional integrator and they have great success. I think that what we want to do, it goes back to what I talked about before about managing outcomes versus input. If we have really solid data to take a look at that show us that our outcomes are amazing, like honestly, Samuel, if you were in a position where you saw all your key performance indicator data about your business, everything was firing on all cylinders, would you care if your team opened up process documents to achieve those outcomes? No. So utilization becomes almost completely irrelevant here, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want somebody breathing down the neck of the team to say, hey, listen, did you follow the process? We mm -hmm. want to go first and look at the outcomes, right? That's like the tip of the iceberg. And then if we need to, we can drill down a layer deeper, down a layer deeper to find out is the process flawed? Is the data that we're getting flawed? Is the person not trained well enough to be able to provide this outcome? So I think there's a lot going on back there, but I think if we start with outcomes first, then that'll tell us about the sophistication needed behind the scenes. You mentioned sabbatical method and you have some news around that topic too. You want to share a little bit about what's coming ahead? Yeah, sure do. We have a book coming out. My very first one, a self-published book, which I'm very, very excited about. The process of writing the book has been really exciting for me and for the clients that I've demoed this with because it's really helped me solidify the frameworks. A lot of the stuff we were talking about kind of in the beginning, you know, really taking a hold of, okay, how do I apply this really logically? I've been teaching it a lot, which feels really, really exciting. And I just love so much the results that have come out, both personally, growing as a leader behind the scenes in my business, but also to just being able to apply it with some of our clients has been really rewarding. Mm -hmm. And obviously you've built an operating system for your business and you teach and consult on that. You help a lot of service-based companies. Do you want to talk a little bit about why it's important as a service company, you need to have some sort of framework? Yeah, of course. I think that first and foremost, if I really am staying true to my ultimate mission and I have two little boys under three, like I need to be home and present with my family. And I know that getting my cup filled in that way will ultimately help me be more present here as a leader, you know, helping folks structure their businesses. I'll be able to really just impact more businesses and more lives. And I think if we can start there and think through, you know, how do we allow the founder to have a better relationship with the things that are important to them in their personal life? That's really kind of the big why behind, you know, honestly, the reason why we all exist, right? Is we mm -hmm. want to be able to leave a greater impact. And I'm actually slightly spacing on the question that you asked me originally and why I went that direction. <laughs> Yeah, I think I was basically asking about uh, the reason for building an operation system or some sort of a framework as a business, right? Because uh, what actually, especially you were talking earlier in the beginning, you, you said something about, you know, setting the business up for sale, like why you need a system process and things like that. And also overall, you know, businesses with a framework tend to be able to sell much higher value service offerings. Yes. And then they also have a much, from a positioning standpoint, standpoint as well, they're usually better positioned because they have something unique to bring to the table. So obviously you built a, a framework and you're selling that as, a, as an offering to your end customers. Uh, so I'm curious to learn why other service companies, what advice would you give other service company owners of why they should create a framework? Thank you for reminding me. So the reason I went that direction was because ultimately, if we want to remove ourselves from being tied to all the outcomes in our business, 
selling a framework is the fastest way to get there, right? So I know a lot of my service providers and even a lot of software as a service companies, they really struggle with founder-led sales, right? Because they have the vision, they understand how it can impact folks' lives. And I really do think that one of the quickest ways to get the founder out of some of those outcomes and driving revenue, which is honestly, I mean, I know this, I still do a lot of my closing and a lot of the things that are coming on behind the scenes with our enrollment process. And transparently, it's one of the scariest things to jump out of because you know it affects so many different things, right? When you're talking about revenue generation. So selling a framework is actually one of the quickest ways that I've seen my clients and one of the fastest ways that I've even been able to transfer this knowledge in my own business and really just divert the attention from the founder thought leader person, right? Mm -hmm. Because what you're doing is you're saying, hey, listen, I'm giving you this framework, not this person, this framework to be able to achieve this outcome. And so I think the mindset shift there is really helpful. I also really, really do firmly believe that just like I said before, crystallizing my frameworks through the process of writing the book. I mean, Operation Simplified, the framework has been around for a really long time. I've been using this framework inside of operations agency and serving folks in their business for the last five years. And I have a better relationship and understanding about this framework now in year five after writing an entire book about the framework than I did when it originally started. And we need to be open to the fact that working on and crystallizing our frameworks is going going to improve our authority in our market and while simultaneously removing us from the outcomes that we're achieving for clients. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned even SaaS companies using it. I don't know if you know much about HubSpot. When they came out, they actually had this whole inbound marketing methodology and they sold that concept to, to marketers. And then mm. people were buying the inbound marketing methodology, but they needed HubSpot to implement it. So it was like a natural sale, right? Because yeah. they learned the framework and they're like, oh, this is a great concept of how to go attract customers to come to you. And then Oh, how do I go execute this? Well, I need HubSpot. Well, that, then there you go. Then you just naturally go and buy the product. <laughs> so I think there's definitely some value in having a framework, not just only to remove you some, from the business because you can actually train and build people to, to follow that framework, mm -hmm. but also creating you know customers to actually come to you because they'll see some uniqueness about that offering or methodology and that they want to follow. Absolutely. So what's next for operations agency? Well, we have the book coming out in just a few weeks. I'm super excited about it. It'll be available on June 4th to purchase on Amazon. My team is doing lots of shifting, which I'm really excited about. We're a team of about 14 right now. And so our leadership development is very much at its high. And so I'm really excited for that new opportunity and new obstacle for me. I've like led clients through this uh, kind of growing pain in the past, but I've never personally experienced it behind the scenes. And I'm really excited to see how my team shows up and up levels with some of our quarterly initiatives that we have going on. And yeah, I'm excited to be able to present some of the crystallized frameworks that we have in the sabbatical method and what we've been using with the Operation Simplified framework. I'm excited to reach more communities with this message and you know, just enjoying the ride, honestly. <laughs> awesome. Well, knowing what you know today, what advice would you give your younger self? Ah, uh, let go of the perfectionism a little bit earlier. And this applies to both business ownership and parenting, which probably after listening to this episode, you understand very much. I see how intertwined these two things are, right? Being a leader in your home and being a leader inside of your business. But I would say let go of perfectionism and allow yourself to experience support sooner than maybe you would be ready for, you know, or traditionally, right? So I have a terrible time and had a terrible time delegating. I was very much tied to my outcomes and I'm a perfectionist, probably recovering 
doing by nature. And so letting go of some of those things and being okay with offloading 20% or offloading 80%. We talked about this quite a bit, but really just challenge yourself to accept help because really growing a business takes a community and it takes an ecosystem, right? Of partnerships, of clients, of team members, of, you know, folks who are willing to pour into you and personally and professionally. And the same is true, right? Of being a parent and being able to just, you know, go drop your kids with mom and pop up for a couple of days and, and go hang out with your spouse. So just being able to do that and access that a little bit sooner is something that I would have honestly probably loved back when I was hustling it out and growing the business. <laughs> Allison, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Samuel. I had a great time. Appreciate it. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.